Welcome to the Insider World Building Podcast, a place where you can experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys, that visitor is me, that dimension is called Dunery, and I have lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. In this episode, I describe my attempted great escape and learn how to compare the familiar to the unfamiliar in order to understand this place better. Firstly, to understand the thinking behind my great escape attempt, you need to understand my brains. You see, the longer I spent on doing a re, the more I imagined I had more than one brain in my skull. And I don't mean brain cells. I mean individual brains. Each with its own thoughts, impulses, decisions and whatnot. I had a hungry brain. I had a tired brain. I had a I couldn't care less brain and a self-pity brain. And many more. All fought to control me. Amid this conflict, two brains emerged stronger than the rest. My rational brain and my just do it, you'll be okay brain. A brain scan would have revealed all these individual brains, with probably some newer, crazier brains forming too. To survive Dunery, I was going to need a bigger head. Okay, now that's out of the way, I will continue my story. Over the next few days, I made numerous trips to the kitchen to learn about brogant and brogant food. It was an ideal opportunity to get more food. More importantly, though, it was an opportunity to see outside. The kitchen windows acted like a freedom magnet. Powered by my just-do-it brain, the urge to escape grew stronger every time I saw the courtyard and wall. Although the drop from the window to the ground was a good three metres, the ground directly beneath the window was freshly dug, which, I presumed, would cushion my fall. And the more I studied the wall, the easier it looked to climb, which was nonsense. My logical brain tried to confirm this by saying, even if you do climb it, then what? How will you navigate the city or find the gateway? By disguising yourself, my just-do-it brain replied. Of course, my logical brain was correct. Yet, while my just-do-it brain didn't offer any advice on finding the gateway, it did encourage all manner of wonderful fantasies to blossom in my mind. Fantasies of escape. Fantasies of returning home a hero. Fantasies of freeing my parents and becoming famous. But how could I disguise myself? My blue shirt with the orange stripe would only get me so far. But once I left the zone, I needed something better to wear. The only other times I'd ever disguised myself was when I'd gone to fancy dress parties. Could that work? By now, I hope you understand just how dominant my just-do-it brain had become. The idea was so ludicrous My logical brain couldn't even find the words to oppose it. And what could I dress up as? A chef, that's what. 
My jump do it, Brain cried. I agreed. I found no chef clothes in the kitchen, but I figured that I would get away with wearing a couple of kitchen aprons and a dish towel wrapped around my head. It was fancy dress after all. I was supposed to look ridiculous. I could also bring a basket containing a handful of kitchen utensils and maybe some blue onions. I'd been studying a book about famous brogant blue onion recipes. I could bring the book too. Madness. Utter madness. My only excuse for this madness was that it was unplanned. And there was some hope. If I looked loopy, people might leave me alone. What are you doing? Shiny Top asked, when I returned to the window for the umpteenth time. I'm leaving, I cried. Oh no, Shiny Top replied. That's the worst idea I've heard since my execution sentence. He said this in such an excited way that I imagined it was the best idea he'd ever heard, which only fueled my madness. Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run rose in my mind, thumping away like a drumbeat. I don't remember opening the window. One moment, I was looking out into the courtyard. The next moment, the window was open. I heard the clamour of city life across the wall. An odd vegetable smell swept into my nostrils. It reminded me of our garden back home. Don't, Shiny Top said. This is not a good idea. I grabbed Shiny Top and said, Well, you're coming too. I clambered out the window. Not this way, Shiny Top cried. The back door is easier. Ignoring him, I dropped and fell chest deep into a mud that was half compost and half hurt. The book and basket flew from my hands. The stink of rotting vegetables suddenly made perfect sense. Yuck, Shiny Top cried. The more I struggled, the more the earth and compost mix felt like quicksand. What's this? I hissed angrily. We had a few compost piles back home but they were all well away from the house. Do you just toss food out the window? I continued. That's medieval. It's a newly treated vegetable bed, Shiny Top replied. The only thing that flew out the kitchen window in the last hundred years is you. I should leave you here, I said, trying to laugh off my shame at being stuck in a compost pile. Perhaps the stick will decompose and your spirit will be released. Shiny Top said, I'd rather be stuck in this stick than this compost. There are compost mulchers. Climb out, quickly. Every time I moved, things prodded me. I couldn't tell if they were half-rotten vegetables or the snouts of some compost mulcher, testing if it was compost material or something tastier. Using Shiny Top as a support, I hauled myself out of the pit. My clothes were filthy, and I stank. I'd never get away with pretending to be a chef outside now. No, you won't, my just-do-it brain cried. Now you're a stinky street tramp. It's the perfect way to travel. People will run to avoid you. Catching my breath, I glanced back. The fortress stood four stories high, 
and resembled a medieval Irish townhouse. It reminded me of the house my uncle Peter had built beside Keyes Manor, only this fortress stretched ten times wider. It was covered in a spider web of vines. Thicker than ivy, the web of vegetation appeared to clutch the fortress, like it was holding it together. Stark against the grey stone, purple flowers blossomed here and there. Something above me caught my eye. A skeleton. A monster skeleton. Diving towards me. I dropped to the ground. Shiny Top laughed. It's only two-tone Tam, he said. Tam, I repeated. The bones of an assassin creature sent to kill Ganhook, Shiny Top continued. Realising that the thing was dead, I climbed to my feet and said, How? Is it just hanging there like that? Shiny Top laughed. Ganhook leaves it stuck in the dome as a warning to other potential assassins. I couldn't see any dome, but I took his word for it, because the skeleton was certainly suspended in something. While its upper torso wings and long, tooty skull was glaringly white, his lower torso, hips and legs, were dull yellow. I said, what was it? Do you want to escape, Shiny Top said, or do you want a guided tour? I imagined that Shiny Top's tone had shifted from cautious to encouraging, which spurred me on. At least the giant skullcap looked more like some modern art garden feature from this angle, which helped me not think about what it really was. A big ball of greenish mist sat close to the wall at one end of the compound. Oddly, with the outlines of plants within it, it resembled a greenhouse. The outline of a human figure was visible just within the mist too. Motionless. A statue, I desperately hoped. I tottered along through the courtyard. Even if the roofs of some of the courtyard buildings sloped up to the top of the wall, my logical brain, which was finding its voice again, convinced me I'd never get over it. I needed to find a door. Then a little dust spout rose off to my right. Uh-oh, Shiny Top said. I poked Shiny Top head first towards the dust. What are you doing? Shiny Top said. There's an intruder spell there, isn't there? I asked. Probably, Shiny Top replied. Well then, I replied, I'm just letting it know I'm with you. Very good, Shiny Top said, sounding genuinely pleased. Very, very good. My logical brain swelled with pride. It warned me, though, that even if intruder spells were trained to recognise all the spells in the courtyard, being covered in compost wouldn't help me. Why? Because the compost smell didn't belong 30 metres from the compost. That's why, when I quizzed Shiny Top about this, he said, wandering compost smells will absolutely attract attention. But you are learning. This is great. Then, like something had pawed it, the tip of the staff trembled. The spell will mince you in seconds, Shiny Top continued. And Ganhook's proud of his garden. It won't go well for you if you end up fertilising it. Luckily for me, I didn't have time to dwell too much on that statement. Shiny Top said, 
The exterior spells don't know me. It's probably best to retreat to the kitchen. Then, close to the green mist building, I saw an arched wooden door set into the wall. Close by it was a haycock-sized pile of earth and mulch. Another compost pile. I sprinted towards it. Oddly, Shiny Top didn't complain. The door and the wall had no lock, no handle or hinges. I peered through its porthole window. Through the gloom, another wall rose up a metre away. There's another wall, I said, poking Shiny Top to the window. This is no door, Shiny Top said. It's only designed as a door to fool what gets stuck inside into thinking it's a door. By this stage, even my just-do-it brain was admitting my escape attempt was doomed, which, I must admit, came as a relief. Shiny Top said, an outer and an inner wall protect the compound. Anything that leaks through the outer wall gets trapped in the space between. Then a voice within the darkness beyond the door said, Ease your back pain, only three pennies. Ease your back pain, only three pennies. Visit the... I turned and fled back to room zero, using the back door, which was, of course, wide open. I wash my clothes, but no matter how I scrub myself, the stink of compost clung to me like a new skin. Even when I returned to the kitchen and cooked up a brogant blue onion soup, the stink clogged my nostrils. That's why I was so surprised when Ganhuk arrived and said, I'm starving. This soup smells lovely. Let's eat. Then, during dinner, Ganhuk said, out of the blue, your parents are free. Stunned, I almost toppled off the chair. Ganhuk smiled so broadly, his beard curled upwards. He said, but if you return home, the curse will react. Worse things may happen to your parents. It was a gentle warning. Right then, it was enough to know my folks are out of prison. The details could wait. You did well today, Ganhuk said. When I pointed at the soup, Ganhuk pointed at the window, which was still open. He said, You showed spirit, like your ancestors. You will do well here. Both my logical and my just-do-it brains celebrated in my head. I stayed quiet, because I knew Ganhuk wasn't finished. But, he continued, you broke the rules, so there will be consequences. Perhaps you should sweep the fortress from top to bottom. This terrified me. Whenever I stayed overnight in Aunt Maeve's, she always had me sweep the house, and her cat always attacked the brush, violently. Considering there were so many dead cats in this place, I could get shredded. In the end, I only had to clean the corridors between room zero and the kitchen. The ghost cat stayed away, the intruder detection spells too. I hoped the spells were getting used to me. The sweeping gave me time to think, to catch up. While my escape plan had failed, I felt like I'd succeeded too. And even if the success part was abstract, I felt much better about things. 
I had taken the initiative. I would survive this place. And now some context on my great escape. I have occasionally visited the Dunery equivalent of a psychologist. They're called Avado, Avindos, something like that. I can never pronounce the name. Everyone calls them grey hairs anyway. Not because they are wise beyond age, but because once you get their bill, your hair will turn grey from a shock. On one visit, I mentioned my great escape. My grey hair told me it was a subconscious desire for independence. Not independence to flee back home. That was unrealistic. It was independence to accept things, to be active instead of passive. Until the escape, she said, I was content to learn about Doonery from others and tried to convert the unfamiliar things they said into familiar things I could relate to. That was only ever going to get me so far. The escape, apparently, was my real desire to do my own thing, to learn about Doonery on my terms. Eh, uh, and there was me thinking, all I wanted was just to escape home. So, you may wonder what on earth that has to do with world building. It's about finding a balance between the familiar and the unfamiliar. When you start building your world, you will probably base it on a secondary world you've read about, play games in, or seen in the movies. But, at some point, you're going to want to make your own world unique. This requires courage. Why? Because doing something unique involves taking risks, venturing beyond the familiar, and introducing the unfamiliar. And evolution has hard-coded our DNA to be wary of the unfamiliar. When you're building your world, and your imagination gets rolling, your mind may create the most amazing things. Unfamiliar things. Things that may even scare you. You may think people will view your work as loopy, and view you as a complete loop-de-loop. Maybe they will. But history is full of innovative thinkers who were initially mocked. Edison's light bulb. Ha ha ha! That'll never catch on. People cried from every gas-lit corner of the world. Why did people laugh? Because the unfamiliar can be scary. We're taught to be wary. We're told to stay safe. Whatever you do, don't take risks. When world-building, you can play safe. You can imitate others and create familiar but mediocre worlds. On the flip side of that, you can create the craziest world and risk scaring your audience away because it's so unfamiliar. Or you can find balance by making your crazy stuff familiar and introducing it slowly. The relic beneath Ganhug's compound is an example. The relic was a full skeleton of a giant creature that contained the creature's spirit and whose bones had been converted into subterranean magical complex. Now that's plain crazy. But even though I'd been told what was down there, all I saw of the complex for a long time was the skullcap. Okay, while it didn't look 100% familiar, it didn't scare me too much. Every time I glanced out the kitchen window I saw it, and every time I saw it, 
I talked more about what lay beneath it. Therefore, when I first ventured underground into the complex, I was prepared, or at least I was prepared as you could possibly be prepared, to see something like that. The fortress too. Gantuk built the entire tower to resemble a medieval Irish tower house, to offer visitors from back home a relatable place to acclimatise before venturing outside into the city. Actually, Gantuk had created this tower so he could have a relatable place to live. But that's another story. Gantuk's story. This is my story right now, and he can't get into it. So, use the familiar to create a relatable, unfamiliar, unique to your world. Another example concerns elves, dwarves and dragons. They are so familiar these days, most people don't view them as something new. But, if you had a seafaring elvish race, the road giant fish, that's blending the familiar with the unfamiliar in a realistic way. The unfamiliar is everywhere. Suppose you pass an oak tree every day. It's a familiar and safe thing. But look closer. Analyse all the cracks and lumps and holes and lichens covering its surface. What shade of colours you see? What kind of insects? Do parasitic mosses cling to its surface? Study the life of that tree and you'll discover an alien world all wrapped up in the familiar. The unfamiliar hides within the familiar, and vice versa. Think about a recent dream. No matter wacky that dream seems, there are many familiar elements within it, elements we've seen or experienced before that are now blended with the unfamiliar. Practice blending the familiar with the unfamiliar. That is partly how I learned to understand Dunery. This week's Strange But True continues the escape team. Only the dead can escape the undersea prison. And that only happened once. Stai Holex, a high-level hoodlum from the Sponge District, was unhappy with her 110-year sentence for people smuggling. Nor was she happy when the leadership of her gang was usurped by her brother. This compelled her to escape the undersea. But how? Constructed within an enormous submerged skeleton and only accessible twice monthly at low tide, the undersea was considered escape-proof. But, in cahoots with a rogue mage, Stai had a plan. This plan involved Stai temporarily dying in prison. Once dead, her spirit would depart her body and her corpse would be returned to her family. The mage would then reunite her spirit with her body and bring her back to life. Considering a resurrection like this was deemed impossible, the plan was risky. Initially, all went well. Stai expired by ingesting poison. Her corpse was returned to her family while her spirit passed out through the prison walls into the open sea. And that's as far as it got. Stai's spirit found itself unable to leave the salt water. No matter what she tried, 
she remained bound to the sea. Eventually, after her family informed the authorities of the truth, her spirit was located and removed from the sea inside a tank of salt water. By then, her body was too decomposed to be useful, and the mage had disappeared too, which made this resurrection impossible. Rumours spread that Sai's brother was responsible for the mage's disappearance. While having your spirit contained in a tank of water sounds like a worse imprisonment than just about anything else, Stai found a new lease of life. Working for the city guards, she toured schools, educating children about the pitfalls of crime. In fact, she became a celebrity. And since beginning her teaching career, crime rates in the city have dropped 7.2%. The question now is, Have others escaped the undersea this way and are now imprisoned in the ocean? Some believe this could explain the spate of underwater spirit sightings of late. The authorities have not commented on these rumours. When asked about this, however, Stye joked, They'll have a tough time if they are out there. Predators sensed me and they were always snapping. That's it for this episode of the Insider World Building Podcast. Next time, I'll describe my first real encounter with the magic substance Levun and give my thoughts on how magic and world building can be so much more than just kaboom. Please join me. Until then, goodbye, or as we say in Dunery, Dreivik. <laughs>